from the Atlantic to the Pacific, from mountain crest to mountain crest, from the canyons to the clouds and into the cosmos, we are pumping wattage high and low, plus streaming worldwide on the internet and keeping you company tonight. I'm your host, Vance Pollock, and this is Joshua P. Warren speaking of strange, giving you the latest and discussing the weirdest. We have assembled the finest team of reporters and most intriguing guests. We are the favorite program of hodags, wendigos, skunk apes, and donkey devils, so keep it tuned right here. This hour, I think we'll be able to wrap up some of our, our gifting, the uh, the mutual gifting of, of strange things uh, here in the studio, some some which I acquired abroad, other things which uh, Sam gleaned from the the meant, local thrift stores. I meant to bring you another book too, but I was running really late and I had all sorts of. But I got I got you. Some, I just don't have it to gift you right this second. I like that. I I, I needed a copy of the Dark Thirty on my bookshelf. Uh, of sure. course, I've, we've got a copy. You found a, a thrift store copy of Speaking of Strange, the book. I have a Joshua P. Warren section in my bookcase, which I have reorganized by, uh, you know, author slash subject. Right. Yeah. So I have a, a Joshua P. Warren uh, slash uh, local section. Yeah. Joshua P. Warren, speaking of strange, before there was the radio show, there was the book. And uh, it's kind of hard to come by. I, I got one from downtown Books and News a few years ago, and I paid a uh, I paid a. a retail collectible price for it i i think i gave 25 or 30 bucks Dang, for it. Really? you got yours for 50 cents or something right like maybe a dollar or so. <laughs> but uh i got shelly something i'm gonna turn your mic up shelly uh play what i got you can you hear it pretty nifty I love it. I love my TARDIS. It has a blinking light on the top, and you can imagine that it's going, it, it's <laughs> flying through the universe. It's the bestest TARDIS ever. If you don't know what a TARDIS is, it's a blue uh, phone box from Doctor Who. Yep. They say Doctor Who is supposed to be a woman. Yeah, the new one. got a new one. Is, is that a smushy? Is that, would it's, that be called a smushy? smushy. You yeah. Wanna, you want to uh, squeeze it? It's a TARDIS smushy. Like a keychain or something. Neat. It's kind of a carabiner. You can hang it on your belt or your purse. Good stuff. I'm not letting the cats near this. Didn't know you were a Whovian shell. You, 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 how did you, you not did. know that? Maybe I kind of knew you thought Say it, Doctor you do. Who was Don't make okay. me pull out the sound bite. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. You oh, got, yeah. 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 yeah the, I was... uh, <laughs> just go ahead and do it. <laughs> <laughs> do it. No, you have it already. I don't want to pull it up. I'm recording. Exterminate! Exterminate! <laughs> throat's a little bit dry tonight. Didn't it, you? Didn't get the full throated version. We got the idea. Yes. Yeah, the Daleks. Yeah, we. Yeah, we know a little Doctor Who around. I don't totally geek out on. It. My son does. My son's seen all of like the most, the recent, like the revamped modern series. To me, Doctor Who was something that they showed on PBS in the '70s, and I thought it was kind of like a. I thought it was more like a soap opera. Well, you know, it, I never got into it. It was kind of like Dark Shadows. Some people oh, I like didn't. Dark Shadows. I, I wanted to get into it, but I just didn't have the time to go back through 53 years of prior episodes. <laughs> I, I, you know, every once in a while you can catch a marathon, and that's fun. I didn't have 21 years of my life to devote to watching Doctor Who. Oh, Doctor Who. Okay, then, then just do the more recent 
Doctor da- Who's David Tennant episode. I, I, exactly. Right. I started with David Tennant, and and I have gone forward, and Look, and you know, in we're Romania, a geeky, we're a geeky show, but we got to draw the line somewhere. I, in Romania, Dave Schrader and I bonded over Doctor Who. Yeah, yes. you're not alone. There, there are a lot of Whovians out there. He's uh, he's got a new uh, in Whoville. <laughs> he's got a, a a new appreciation in this. Uh, in this 21st century. <laughs> oh, sorry. Shelly, I, I think this is uh, the, about it. Other than the fact that I found a postcard inside the cover of this little pamphlet, I mentioned to you the other night that I was going through some old books. That was, uh, I thought it was a good story that I was sitting in a room with my seven-year-old Jesse. He's over in the corner playing Minecraft, and he says out loud, Ouroboros boys. Well, the only reason he would know Ouroboros Boys is because I talk about the local surf uh, instrumental group. We use them for bumper musics here quite occasionally, uh, Ouroboros Boys. But he wouldn't have known what what in the world an Ouroboros was. He had just heard his dad talk about the Ouroboros Boys. But Jesse's sitting over there in the corner, and he says, Ouroboros Boys. And I said, Jesse, why did you say Ouroboros boys. And he said, oh, I don't know. It just popped in my head. Literally, he's just staring at the computer screen playing Minecraft. And he says, oh, it just popped in my head. Seven-year-old kid now, folks. And the reason I ask is because I'm holding a copy of a uh, 1947 Icelandic theosophical journal, Gaungleri, for all you Icelandic speakers out there. And on the cover of this uh obscure i mean about as obscure a publication as you could make up is is the ouroboros do you know what the ouroboros is sam it's a sounds like a constellation it's a snake swallowing its tail the emblem like the the mystical symbol of a snake in a circle swallowing its tail don't tread on me no, 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 it's it's uh, more mystical than that. Maybe uh, Kabbalah. I don't know. What, I don't know what tradition, what magical tradition, the Ouroboros comes so from. But it is a, a old. Pamphlet. It represents infinity. It is a snake swallowing its tail. I'm holding an old pamphlet uh, with an Ouroboros on the cover, and my seven-year-old kid is sitting on in the other corner of the room, and he just blurts out Ouroboros boys. Huh. I was like Jesse, what? Why do you do this sort of stuff? He's he's notoriously uh, psychic that? about stuff. This, but this is from the same yeah. And this is what I'm going to give Shelley. This is from the same box of old publications. Uh, it was something that I had picked up and thrown in the box, and it had ended up in storage at my in-laws. Very my cool. wife's always bugging me. Uh, only when she when it occurs to her that in the top of one of the storage closets at her parents or up over the the garage in the uh, loft are several boxes of books and weird things that I accumulated but never did manage to pack and, and fly home to the United States when I moved from Iceland 12 years ago. So in this box of uh, arcane literature, I found one that I thought would be interesting to bring back for Shelley's collection the secret of the successful use of the Ouija board <gasps> and it's in English yes Woo-hoo! um the foreword to this which is printed on the last page and upside down which just uh, is a testament to uh, the quality of this publication uh the remarkable and illuminating data 
herein quoted was received in the presence of three or more persons at all times in the calm isolation of interior Alaska in 1917 by means of an Ouija board by Nellie Irene Walters and Clarice Eugenie Perrin. Um, copyright 1918. Um, the publisher... So you got Interior Alaska as the setting for this publication. Uh, the company that printed it, uh, the Blakely Press, Broadway, Oakland, uh, California. And then the owner, the previous owner's name uh, written on the cover, uh, Haldora Thorketsdotir. And she uh, lived at 38 Framnesveg in Reykjavik. Uh, at the time, she possessed this uh, little pamphlet, and it showed up in a used bookstore in Reykjavik where I picked it up and threw it in a box. So now, uh, 100 years after its publication or recording, 100 years later, the secret of the successful use of the Ouija board appears in Asheville, North Carolina. It's now part of the Shelley Wright collection. You can take that to Nevermore Mystical Arts and share it with the visitors who uh, pop in from time to time. They've come to expect strange things for you down there at 1271 Sweeten Creek Road, Nevermore Mystical Arts. Oh, yes. You're filling the, filling the boutique with all sorts of weird things all sorts of weird things having all sorts of weird but fun classes yeah did i tell you what we did this week no we haven't talked about it here we, i mean so far as i know we had a uh, a class in magical theory and it was so much fun chuck Full of information. I mean, just incredible, incredible stuff. Uh, Mr. Witch came, and and he used to be in a coven, and he shared all kinds of things with with the group, and they they loved it. I mean, they they had so much information in their heads that they were about to explode, but they wanted more, and nobody would leave until we scheduled two more classes, different but same same teacher. Like so, a workshop. Like a little on... workshop. This And the next one is going to be a little bit more hands-on. It will be necromancy. So Very cool. Very excited about ne- this. Necromancy is uh, dead, dead people. people. Mm-hmm. Okay. More yeah. about communicating with spirits. It's yeah. just kind of a kind of a dark, fancy word for communicating with the dead, right? Yes. Necromancy. Necromancy. Exciting stuff going on down there at Nevermore Mystical Arts. And like I handed this pamphlet off to Shelley and I said that belongs uh, you know, under the counter at uh Nevermore Mystical Arts. Uh I'm gonna try and get you some more copies of Fate magazine because Phyllis has sent out uh some extra copies of that. I'm going to try and get the new Fate magazine down there to uh, Nevermore so folks can pick up a copy of that if they would like. Uh, they would issue 731, that's got an article by our buddy Micah Hanks in there. Uh, it's got an article by uh, Michael Peter Langevin, uh, who is uh, a great guy who has spent a lot of time uh, in the Amazon and with the shamans, and he knows about the ayahuasca experience about as as caucasian north american wood um yeah fascinating stuff in the new fate magazine and uh fate magazine will find itself headquartered here in Asheville, probably by the time the next issue hits the newsstands Where do you fate's, pick, uh, one of those up? fate's home base is uh gonna be Asheville. 
You know, it used to be on the newsstands and everywhere. Now I think it's pretty much a subscription-only sort of thing, Sam. FateMag.com. I I have no idea. I don't know what booksellers carry Fate Magazine. You used to go in Barnes & Noble. Ten years ago, I would go in Barnes & Noble and 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 buy them. Uh, But it's the circulation, the print run of Fate Magazine has dwindled a lot uh, so that they're kind of hard to get. So my suggestion to you, pick up a copy of Fate Magazine at Nevermore Mystical Arts, 1271 Sweeten Creek Road, because Shelly's connected. Shelly can uh, get you one. Um, Yeah. I'll make sure that happens. I'll make sure we get those out there for you. Um, Rolling uh, right along. Let's call Mobius up and get him on next segment. Just check in with Mr. Mobius, the man behind so much of the content here on Speaking of Strange. We will be right back. Welcome back to Speaking of Strange on 570 WWNC and around the globe on speakingofstrange.com. Shelly just broke out her contribution to the giving that's going on here in the studio tonight. Uh, she handed me a bottle of cheer wine and a zero bar. What'd you get over there? Sun drop and a zero bar? Sun drop and a zero, but oddly enough, I already had in my bag a cheer wine okay this goes back to a con- this goes back to a conversation a few weeks ago when sam was talking about being with his friends and one of the guys would go into the convenience store and they would play a game guess what kind of drink and candy bar they will come out with and the example you used was a dr pepper and a zero bar yes. which happens to be my son's favorite very, very combination and, and pretty obscure so shelly found zero bars they're great by the way, the white chocolate, zero bars, and cheer wine. I was uh, bragging on some of our local uh, pop formulas, and I love my cheer wine and and, and sun drop. Uh, hey, we got Mobius on the line. Is that right, Mobius? Are you with us? I am here in the flesh. What is your candy bar soda combination? Mm, that zero bar and cheer wine happens to nail it for me too. Okay. 
that that's gonna gonna work. That's that's the combination of the evening cheer cheer wine and zero bars. Uh, Mr. Mobius, uh, you folks, listeners know the name, but we haven't heard your voice here on the air in a long time, Mobius, and uh, it's it's good to have you on the air finally, uh, right? Um, oh, yeah. Mobius does right. so much of the content, uh, the majority of the Dark 30 content. Of course, you've got Joshua Dindy and, and uh, a few other folks that help you out in rounding up the weirdest, darkest material material. Uh, we can muster for the Dark 30 hour. They don't call it the Dark 30 for nothing. Uh, but you also uh, include a great many uh, tales about technology, UFOs, uh, the paranormal in general, things that just kind of uh, get lost in the shuffle. You sift through and find some really good stuff. You mentioned to me off the air uh, during the break that there is a UFO flap, the context for which or the dis- even the description of which doesn't necessarily fit what we traditionally expect of a ufo sighting would you like to uh announce that one talk about that uh situation a little bit i have to give some credit to joshua and all of his research because it kind of helps to explain what i'm about to tell you but a lot of people are seeing ufos that don't appear to be organic. They don't appear to be, you know, like nuts and bolts. They don't appear to be anything. Uh, they're almost like huge glowing plasma balls. And they just seem to move in very unpredictable manners, uh, sometimes doing a 180-degree turn on themselves and just leaving people saying, you know, what the heck did I just see? And, you know, this, these come in, in, in almost streams where you see the same thing showing up in videos. And they don't quite classify into any of the normal videos. They almost seem to be, like, garnering attention to the people who are filming them. And that's kind of the same thing that Joshua was talking about with his almost, you know, many godlike UFOs. They're going in and out of the ocean and almost mischievously interacting with human beings. This seems to be almost the same thing, but a little different. Wow. Do you see any parallels between these uh, plasma UFOs and and the sort of things that we've observed over the years down around Brown Mountain? You may have heard uh, the report a month or so back from somebody over in Madison County who saw uh, plasma lights or, or orbs of light behaving similar to what we've come to expect in Brown Mountain, but no longer just isolated to a uh, specific area? Yes. And, you know, Joshua and some of his research, famously in the lab, made a recreation of the Brown Mountain light. And they were thinking about, you know, how this could tie into UFOs and how this high-energy plasma discharge took the form of a UFO and seemed to be interacting with your consciousness. Now, we're going into a really odd thing about what is reality, but a lot of the people are saying that once they you know, start to experience this, they can call them. And when they concentrate and they try to like meditate on these coming, sure enough, they start showing up. And so once they've had the experience, they seem to be more likely to see this object again. And that just doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, at this point, 
it defies the reality of what we're dealing with. You know, so it's kind of neat. And if you go on YouTube and you start researching, there have been a flood of these. But also you have to use discretion because there's a lot of fake stuff. So don't go to like the popular UFO channels. Try to find people who are genuinely having a unique experience, putting the video up and showing it. And there's some really good things. If anybody ever emails me, I'll be glad to send you some links. Yeah, you want to share your email address, uh, Mobius? Yeah, it's uh, Mobius at paranormal-investigation.com. So I don't mind ever sending links. I used to do this for Factor Faked, and I, I did their back research and analysis, so I always keep an eye on this. And, of course, a lot of the content, even things that we don't get to on the show or things that we, we wouldn't share <laughs> over the air, uh, those links will show up on the Speaking of Strange Facebook page. I, I want to thank you for all the great content that uh, that you do behind the scenes on the Speaking of Strange radio Facebook page. Uh, and people that are on Facebook need to check that out. Um, a lot of this uh, got kind of steers me towards the thought that uh, using para paratemporal night vision technology might enhance the observer's experience of these new sort of plasma lights. And you happen to be a man who knows a little something about paratemporal night vision. Is that right? We sell a lot of hand select, select alpha, uh, third generation PVS7s. And I actually can say we have the lowest price in the United States on these period. But we only get maybe four to six pair a year. So we don't have a lot available. So the people who buy from us, I can say they have a fantastic experience. And Missy Hill is out there who's always willing to you know, take people out and give them the night vision experience before they buy. But these do work. And I can give you what you said the best example. You are probably 20 times more likely at Brown Mountain to see a Brown Mountain light with night vision than you would be with your naked eyes. So that's a very good example. But equally so, just any night in the night sky, you see space junk, satellites passing over, and if you have a good night, you see some really strange stuff. So you're using like 10,000 times light amplification, and you're seeing into the infrared. So the whole night sky just changes into something amazing. Awesome. Uh, Mobius, where can folks avail themselves of more information about paratemporal night vision? You can go to the website at paratemporal.com, or you can email me from the website, and I would be more than happy to talk to you about it. All right, and that's paratemporal.com, P-A-R-A-T-E-M-P-O-R-A-L.com. Thanks a lot for, for coming on, Mobius. We need to make this a, a more regular feature. I know when uh, when Josh was knocking out new shows every week and when he was here in Asheville, you were, you were a regular uh, color commentator. He would, he would bring you in for a segment or two every week. We need to start to... Uh, uh, getting our, our routine down and have you on more often. It's it's good to hear your voice, my friend. It's been a while. I don't think I've run into you since we were uh, uh, over at uh, Byrish House some six or, gosh, eight months ago, I guess. Time flies, and it was nice being here tonight. Yeah. Uh, welcome back anytime, Mobius. Folks, uh, 
that's our own Mr. Mobius, the man behind so much of the content, the news stories you hear here. I didn't even think he existed. Well, here you go. Sam, uh, Sam and you have never met Mobius. I always thought he was some sort of uh, alter ego of uh, Josh. Sam, I'm using a voice changer. This is just Joshua, okay? <laughs> it very well could be. How, how do I know otherwise? <laughs> the the uh, the Mobius mystery. He uh, yeah he exists, folks. He's he's our own Mister Mobius. And uh, you wouldn't get half the wonderful content you get out of Speaking of Strange if it weren't for Mobius and his team, Joshua Dindy. And, and there's a new guy on your team, Mobius. What's his name? Oh, let's shout out to Aaron. Thank you, Aaron, for all your hard work, too. Excellent. And make sure you go by paratemporal.com to check out uh, Paratemporal Night Vision, selected by Mobius uh, for a real UFO viewing enhanced experience Uh, You are listening to Speaking of Strange. We will be right back after these messages. Hang tight. Speaking of strange, thanks, Mr. Mobius, for dropping in and letting us know about a new UFO flap that tends to feature something outside the the traditional mystery ship, but something more akin to our own brown mountain lights, plasma balls in the sky. Or Mobius said one uh, one uh, one person who captured video. One of these things described it as more like the ghost of a UFO. Hmm. Ghosts and UFOs all in one. Sounds like good stuff to me. Uh, let's get to some some weird signs from the universe. Anyway, this is, uh, this is what I heard when I got back to work at Pizza Cabin uh, after my return from Iceland. I walked into Pizza Cabin and my buddy Everett is there and he says uh, to me, the universe knew you were coming back 
because not five minutes ago, I cracked open a roll of pennies and look what I found for you. And he held up a coin and from across the room, I said, oh, a 1943 steel penny because they're unmistakable. Only that one year during World War II, they made the pennies out of steel or zinc. So there's Mm -hmm. these the one year you got the silver penny and he held one up and I said, oh, a 1943 war penny. Um I never see those things in circulation. And I have a close personal attachment to that particular coin because my grandfather, you know, at the time my mother was a a young girl growing up, coming out of the Depression, uh, very, very poor people. She grew up uh, in Yancey County, just a couple counties from here, you know, just barefoot, dirt poor farm kids. coming out of the great depression uh through world war ii my grandfather probably would have gone off to war like most men if he hadn't uh been partially handicapped my grandfather had gotten drugged by an ox when he was 18 or 19 years old and got crippled up pretty bad and uh uh, when he was 32 years old he had a stroke and was uh paralyzed down the left side so he had a very tragic life my grandfather but uh for most of his life, it was just a habit of his to save these 1943 steel pennies because they were unique. And in those back in those days, a penny would actually buy something. You know, you took a penny you could get to the like store, a half you, a penny, couldn't you? Uh, like, didn't they have like um, like candy or something? It was like half a penny, <laughs> right? They, they did have such a thing called a half cent. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. Um, yeah, one of these steel pennies in 1943 actually meant something. It was it was something that you anybody would pick it up if they saw it laying on the ground. We talked about my uh, penchant for picking things, shiny things or or weird things up off the ground and putting them in my pocket this hour, whether it's sheep knuckles or or uh, tokens out of piles of human remains. Uh, they in in the pocket they go. I'm a pack rat. Can't help it. Um, but my grandfather would save these 1943 steel pennies world war ii pennies and i remember as a boy going to visit my grandfather and he had an old dutch master cigar box with like his all of his little keepsakes in it he lived with my aunt by that time and he was wheelchair bound and he didn't have much a very humble very meager existence was uh, just a, the kindest old man ever and what i remember most about my grandfather was red man chewing tobacco and plug or leaf a leaf the loose loose uh red man and uh the fact that he liked birds and he had like paintings of birds uh and uh soundtracks of like bird calls and things like that he 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 loved nature even though he was pretty much homebound wheelchair bound at that time he he loved birds and he loved Red Man, and he had this little box, this Dutch Master cigar box, and inside that were just a few of his treasured possessions, some old snapshots, letters, uh, and these pennies. I remember my grandfather's steel pennies from when I was a child. So a few years ago, my aunt, when I was over to visit her, she's in her 80s now, she, uh, she, she came out with that 
cigar box and i said oh my god it's grandpa's cigar box cigar box and she opened that up and she took the last of those steel pennies over the years different ones grandkids and things she's given the pennies to and there there were three or four of granddad's pennies still in that box and she took those out of there and gave those to me and so the the last time i saw those steel pennies and i always associate those steel pennies with my grandfather it's a very personal connection so when i walked into the shop the other night and i'm kind of like i've been in iceland and i'm i'm seeing the world and i'm like uh ready to get back you know nose to the grindstone and do this and i'm feeling a little disenchanted you know when you land back at home and it's time to go back to work and you you know you're going to be pulling doubles and you'll be paying off the the credit cards for the next six months um Oh man, it was like drudgery. Me thinking, oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to go back to work. And when Everett, my boss, says the universe knew you were coming back, and he holds up that silver wheat penny, uh, or yeah, that 1943 war penny, it really made me feel like my grandfather's example was. You ain't got it so bad. Look at you. You just you spent three weeks abroad. You're coming back. You're going to work. Everybody's got to uh, work for the bread. You know, uh, you ain't got it so bad. Don't don't feel down on yourself. Look at my example. And he was an inspiration to everyone who knew him. That's his epitaph on the gravestone. Because even though he had uh, he had uh, been crippled, physically handicapped most of his adult life, uh, that man was uh, a worker. And he was a, a kind person, and he never begrudged anyone, or he never uh, felt sorry for himself. And I think that example is something that a lot of people could learn from today. How many times do you get sick of people whining and moaning and feeling sorry for themselves mm-hmm. when you've got nothing to feel sorry about? And uh, that's something I would share with listeners the, the way I would share it with my my sons. Don't feel sorry for yourself because you've got it pretty darn good. Look at this guy, you know. Uh, you eat all the food on your plate because there's people out there in the world who don't have any food. Did you ever hear that when you were growing up, Sam? That was a, that was the sort of uh, that was the way our our parents uh, encouraged us to uh, clean our plates. And I still to this day I feel guilty about leaving any food on my plate. And that was always a quote from my mom: "You should be thankful." that uh, you've got this food. It may not be your favorite. It may not be hot dogs and pizza every meal, but uh, you should be thankful you've got food because there's there's people somewhere in the world that are starving right now. I got this plaque at the flea market one time. Uh, it's in storage somewhere now, but it said, Enjoy today for tomorrow may be much worser. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, sort of the same thing. Like, uh, appreciate what you have. And right. speaking of, I was just looking in my bag for my phone charger, and I found another gift I brought for you, Vance. Are hey. you ready? Are you ready? Oh, okay. Are we going to do this ready? on the air? Here I'm ready. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> it's it's a grandma doll head. It's a grandma doll head. How about that? I got a whole bag of them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really cool if you stick a little light in there and then shut it off, off the lights, it glows. She's got little glasses <laughs> You can put it on your shifter in your car. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to see if I can put it on top of the, the it could bottle be a cheer of Cheerwine. Wine <laughs> cheer wine. Grandma head. 
She's kind of like Aunt Jemima now on top of the... <laughs> duct tape, she's on there. You know what he's going to do. He's going to take the doll head... And he's gonna he's gonna put it in his kids' room tonight, <laughs> and you're scare probably, the crap out of you're, him. You're probably right. My son's to gonna wake up with this creepy grandma <laughs> head. Well, you should start Dad! doing this thing that we did in the Steele family for years, <laughs> which was uh, I won't say the person's name, but we would get this Christmas card every year, and we would cut out uh, one of the faces of this guy on the Christmas card, <laughs> and then during the entire holiday season. We would take like a piece of tape and put it on the back of the guy's face, and we would put it like on a pencil or something, you know, like on the eraser. And then like you'd be eating Christmas dinner, and all of a sudden you'd see the guy's face just poking out of like the centerpiece of the table. <laughs> or you'd open up the cupboard to get a glass out, and like you'd see the guy's face just tucked in the back. And so you found it, and then you would have to hide it for the next person to find. Wow! So you could just have like the grandma floating around the house. Hiding. Yeah, she could be like the elf on a shelf around our house anytime. <laughs> you know, grandma's head. I don't know where that came from, but I've never touched it, and it just keeps moving around and reappearing it's pretty cool isn't it <laughs> show me if you really like it i can bring you one next. I, it could be kind of creepy I'm, I'm with shelly i'm gonna try and make it creepy and uh scare my kids with it it's a it's a grandma head I, you could put some fishing monofilament through there and hang it and uh, thumbtack it over your kid's bed so when he opens his eyes in the morning it's just dangling right in his eye <laughs> Oh, uh, the joy that that idea brings me. <laughs> you got the gears turning, Sam. A rubber post grandma a, doll head. Post a picture of it on the Facebook, <laughs> the Speaking of Strange Facebook page. I think I will. She's she's like our new mascot, Grandma Dollhead. <laughs> you, you're listening to Speaking of Strange, and we'll be right back after this break.
Hey, son, what'd you learn on Speaking of Strange last night? Dad, I learned to pronounce Bjork. It's not Bjork, it's Bjork. Kind of rhymes with jerk. And they also trill that R a little bit. So if I was going to try and say it as Icelandic as possible, I would say Bjork. That's so yeah. pretentious. That is. I when, like American Bjork. <laughs> Bjork. Bjork is okay. You you can drop the uh, the phony accent and still pronounce the O with an umlaut as uh, Bjork. Uh, you know how um, Motley Crue has the uh, the umlaut O in, in Motley? Crew. In Motley Crue. Uh, yeah, Icelanders uh, will call them Mertley. Mertley Crue. Mertley Crue. That's dumb. Well, that's what I owe with umlauts is. If you don't know your umlauts, don't throw them in there, folks. Bjork. It's not Bjork. It's Bjork. My, my actual, the my real, the familial last name of Steel is actually uh, Stalhansky from the Swede-ish, and it has an umlaut in it. Okay. Over, over the A. So it would be Stalhansky. Stahl, I think. Right? It means fist isn't, of steel. Isn't the uh, umlaut just like a... I mean, I you're the one talking about umlauts yeah, I think here. I think the umlaut A is just like a uh, a short A sound. I'm not sure. They don't use umlaut A in Iceland. They use umlaut O, though. Okay, we're talking umlauts. We're talking Björk. We're talking a little bit about Iceland. We, we've been peppering this show with all sorts of exotic elements. We even heard from Mr. Mobius. Uh, if you're just tuning in then you're going to want to go back and check out the replay. The podcast should be up about the middle of next week. Speaking of strange.com, of course, you can see what the head honcho is doing. That's Joshua P. Warren at joshuapwarren.com. Shelly, is there a period after the P? No. No. Joshuapwarren.com. Uh, last I heard from Josh, he was uh, had a new batch of sigils. Oh yeah, he's he's uh, he's, he's credited as a executive producer on the H.H. Uh, H. Holmes show. Yeah, uh, American, American Ripper. Ripper. That's right. Josh is. Uh, oh wow, yeah. Josh is credited as assistant assistant producer on that. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, Amer- American yes. Ripper. But anyway, American Ripper. The the premise of that is that uh, uh, Jeff Bludgett was that uh, Mudget. Jeff Mudgett. Mudgett. Jeff Mudgett. Uh, I, I was thinking bludgeon as in murder, but Jeff Mudgett. Jeff Mudgett's great-great-grandfather was H.H. H. Holmes, the American serial killer responsible for the horror hotel, the murder hotel at the Chicago World's Fair in the late 1800s. And his grandson, Jeff, begins to look at the life of his notorious ancestor and realizes that at the time the Jack the Ripper murders were going on, his grandfather was in London. Mm. So mm-hmm. American Ripper is a series uh, devoted to exploring the possibility that H.H. H. Holmes, notorious American serial killer in his own right, was also Jack the Ripper. Uh, fascinating stuff to me. I love history and I love murder. So uh, there you go. <laughs> and mysteries. I love murder mysteries. Maybe that's the way I should put it. I love uh, I love history, and I love a good murder mystery. So there you go. And speaking of, 
Legends, Secrets, and Mysteries of Asheville. Check it out. This is new from uh, Marla Hardy Milling. Marla Hardy Milling was on uh, Speaking of Strange with her last book, that, which was a similar collection of, of peculiar local tales. And Legends, Secrets, and Mysteries of Asheville includes a couple of stories uh, where Joshua P. Warren is a key source of information. And one of the stories... It's on nice stock. Yeah, very nice. Glossy pages. One of the stories is actually completely uh, devoted to some of our own experiences, Shelley. The story of the uh, the seance at Byrish House mm-hmm. is in there, and O.C. Hamilton and uh, Gus and Emma Adler from the Sky Club, and how these ghosties from uh, Bowcatcher... Uh, may have made their way over to West Asheville. This must it's, be a relatively new book because it, it's got uh, a story in there about the Billy the Kid picture at the, from the flea market. It's, uh, yeah, it's brand new, brand spanking new. I think uh, you just got it off of Amazon, right, Shelley? I did. So jot this down, folks. Marla Hardy Milling, M-I-L-L-I-N-G, the book Legends, Secrets, and Mysteries, of Asheville. It looks like a good read. Yeah, I, I'm sure it is. Let's see. Uh, what's this? Uh, let's just take a, a chapter of it here. And, oh, wow, she's got a, the story about the discovery of um, the 1904 uh, photograph album with a lot of historic places around Asheville that there were previously no known photographs, but a... Uh, it was found in a junk shop up north somewhere, and the person donated it to the life. A lot of history. I love and, that stuff. And, oh, man, I'm going to eat this up. Uh, Ghosts, Graveyards, and Zombies is a chapter where some of your Speaking of Strange crew play a key role. Uh, I guess the respectable part of the show is over. Speaking Johnny of Strange presents Dark 30 coming up after the break. Stick around. If you dare. The Dirty 30.